Colossians 1, 10 through 14. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in all good works and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may take your seat. Hey, Taproot Familia, how are we doing today? Somebody said bien. Who was that? Nice. I actually appreciated that. That was good. Cool. Hey, guys. It's good to see you. Good morning. It is good to be here with everybody. Uh, for those of you who um, may not know who I am, my name is Luis, and I am one of the pastors here at Taproot. And uh, if this is your first time here at this church, welcome. Welcome to our church. Here is what Taproot Church is all about. Our church, Taproot exists to glorify God by make, making disciples of Jesus here in Burien and in the south end of Seattle. We will then equip those disciples, train them, empower them, and send them out on the mission of bringing the king and his kingdom into our community and into our everyday lives. Uh, again, if this is your first time here, welcome. This is what our church is all about. If you've got your, your Bibles, uh, open them up to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We are going to be in verses, uh, we're going to start in verse 9, 9 through 14. We have been in this Colossians series for about a month now. And what we have today, what we're going to look at this morning is Paul's prayer for the Colossian Christians. Now we have talked about over the past few weeks how the Apostle Paul is writing to this church to this dear community of Christians to, to encourage them, <coughs> to, to challenge them to, to a greater love and devotion to Jesus, and to address some questions that these guys are having, some real challenges with, with cultural pressures that were, were tempting them to turn from Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul in this letter is going to answer this very important question. And I think the question is on the screen. But how? Here is what Paul is doing for the Colossian Christians. He's answering this question. How can they, and then how can us, how can we remain steadfast and faithful to Jesus despite the cultural pressure around. Now, this is a very relevant question. And what Paul is going to do here is he's going he's to model for you and for me one of the most important things we can do as followers of Jesus who are wrestling out the how to be steadfast, the how to be faithful and consistent to Jesus and obedient to him for the long haul no matter what pressure comes our way. So what is Paul going to do? He is going to commit himself to pray for this 
church, for these dear saints. So this is a great lesson for us. And here is the big idea for us this morning. Taproot, as we, as we give ourselves to, to engaging and influencing the culture around us with the gospel of Jesus, as we, as we become the, the intermingling of the presence of God in this community, we need to be praying for one another. Let me make a couple clarifications, a couple reminders before we look at the text. The first thing I want to do is I want to start with a definition of what culture is. This is a very simple definition, but hopefully it is helpful. Here is what culture is. Simple definition. <coughs> Excuse me. This is on the screen as well. Uh, the beliefs, the, the customs, the traditions, the art, the food of a particular group, society, place, or time. A particular society that has its own beliefs and ways of life. A way of thinking, behaving, or working that exists in a place or organization. Now, the thing about culture is that culture is neutral in the sense that it takes the shape of its members, but it is not neutral in that it exercises great influence on the thinking, the shape, and the worldview of its inhabitants. Now, our church, Taproot, we are developing our own culture, and we are seeking to, to influence, to engage, and to even make culture. But the non-negotiables of the gospel, the Bible, obedience to God will remain a constant as we define who we are in this ever-changing world. We can focus, we will focus and adapt within neutral parts, those non-moral, non-sinful aspects of our culture so that we can get the gospel to all peoples. But here is something that must be clear. We are not against culture. We can't be that way. It's not us versus them. Because if that is our mentality, how can we love our neighbors? How can we fulfill the mission that God has given this very church? But rather, how can we engage and influence the culture? Now listen, um, I am a newbie to the south end of Seattle. I've only lived here for less than two years. But the, the culture of the south end of Seattle is beautiful. The people, the, the, the traditions, the, the ethnicities, the languages spoken here. The, the, the food, the stories, the music, the art is beautiful. There are some things that we can definitely embrace and celebrate. Now, there are also some things that we cannot compromise on and we cannot embrace because they contradict and oppose the ways of Jesus. Well, let me give you one simple example. As many of you know, I, am, uh, I was born, raised in Mexico. I was, I'm a first-generation immigrant. I immigrated to the United States when um, I was 18, many, many moons ago. And um, <coughs> I love the Mexican culture. I love, I love it. If, if I could define uh, my uh, heritage, the Mexican people, I would define it with Four, 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 four words. Family, faith, food, uh, fiesta, that just means celebration, party, and 
that's not four, that's five. In, foot, in football, I really would describe those five Fs. I love it. Now, there is, it's, we're in the month of October, and here in a few weeks, um, at least in Mexico, they will celebrate what is known as Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos. Now, there is a beautiful aspect to that celebration. And I love that idea of remembering loved ones. I love that idea of remembering those that have uh, passed away, people that we love. But at the same time, I cannot embrace that tradition fully. Because the deeper you go into that celebration, there is some serious dark aspects of it that are demonic and that oppose the ways of Jesus. So you see that weird balance? And I can, engage, I can celebrate and say that it's beautiful, but at the same time, I can't compromise <coughs> excuse me, on some of the truths of Scripture in the ways of Jesus. Now, there are some things as well in culture that we should redeem. Now, listen, let me give you two simple examples. Our culture has all kinds of things to say about sex and sexuality. At this church, we are not against sex. We will not forbid it. We are for it. And everybody said, yes! <laughs> That's right. But we will redeem it and see it through the lens of Scripture in Jesus. Do you see that? Culture has, has all kinds of things to say about money. And, and demonize. they demonize as well money and they love money. But we ought to seek to redeem that and see how are we to see money through the lens of Jesus. Do you see that? So we, are, we can embrace and celebrate some things. There are some things that we cannot embrace. And there are some things that we should seek to redeem. But we are definitely for our neighbors and for the flourishing of all people. you got to remember what was Paul's <coughs> encouragement in the first few verses of his letter. You are the saints at Colossae. Yes, there are some pressures. Yes, there are some difficulty that you are facing. But you, what Paul didn't say is, get out. Go somewhere more conservative. Go somewhere where people think like you. That's not what Paul said, is it? He said, Church, Christians, you are the saints at Colossae. The temptation is that we can begin to become and feel dissatisfied with this uh, old-time religion. With the old, familiar paths and patterns of following Jesus that we know that we have been taught because it's not attractive. Like some of the things that we hear and see. <clears throat> so the pressure is real and it is difficult. But how can, we, how can we be courageous in an age of disbelief? How can we engage and influence without losing our grasp on Jesus? And what we are not doing is we are not building bunkers. But we are moving forward. So this question that Paul is answering for you and for me is incredibly relevant. Now, before we, does all that make sense to some degree? Okay. Before we look at Paul's prayer in these verses uh, this morning, let's just ourselves pray for a second, and we'll go from there. <coughs> I apologize for this cough. I can't shake this cold. Let's pray. Father, I, <clears throat> I thank you for this morning.
Jesus, would you meet us? Father, would you use me, this imperfect vessel, to communicate your truth? I know that there are a billion things that we walked into this room with. Circumstances, situations, baggage, things we were wrestling, questions we have that we brought in here. And Father, I pray that you, by your spirit, would, would, would cut through that and speak to our soul and encourage our soul and equip us and challenge us and convict us. Would you use me in my imperfectness uh, to be a vessel for your glory? May the gospel and Jesus be the main thing. May your spirit be moving and at work, and may you visit us and meet us in a unique way this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Okay, so Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. <clears throat> you know, as I read uh, these words, as I look at Paul's prayer, I, I picture myself as like I'm walking through uh, this uh, house where Paul is arrested in, and the door is slightly ajar, and you can hear him, and you can see him on his knees pleading for the Colossians. That's the picture that I get. And it's kind of like as we read these verses, it's kind of like we are eavesdropping on the Apostle Paul's prayer. And I just think that's cool. I think that's really cool. So as you, as you read these words, you can really get a sense of Paul's heart for these Christians who, if you remember, this is a church. These are a people who he had never met personally, yet this is his heart for them. These are his prayer priorities for this church. These are the things that, that burden him as he thinks about these people. Last week... <coughs> Excuse me, Pastor Jim challenged us that as we read this prayer, that we would uh, change the word you in the text and, and replace it with the word taproot. We're going to kind of follow that same thought this morning. And I believe that as we as a church take Paul's prayer priorities and make them our own for this church they will transform our prayer lives and they will transform our spiritual lives and the life of this church and this community in a radical way. Well, let's look at the content of Paul's prayer and we're going to start, like I said, in verse 9 with the request. Now, I'm not trying to re-preach Jim's sermon, <clears throat> but these few verses seem to all go together and we've got to see them together to understand what uh, the whole thing is about. Now, here is the request that Paul makes for these Christians in verse 9. He asks, he prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, one of the one of the buzzwords in Colossae, one of the buzzwords that the, the false teachers were, were using at Colossae in their heresy uh, that was infiltrating the church was this word, fullness. That's what these false teachers were, were offering. If you just follow our rituals, if you just... Thanks, hon. 
If you just engage in our syncretism, in our mysticism, in our Gnosticism, in self-denial, if you just listen to our teaching, you'll discover this new secret way and path to real spiritual fullness. That was the deception. And so Paul here is going to use their word, fullness, in a very purposeful way. He, too, wants the Colossians to know and to experience fullness. He wants fullness for them, but not the mysterious fullness that these false teachers were offering. Rather, Paul is praying and he desires that these guys, that you and I, would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, this is not a secret This is not to be found by some new and mysterious ritual. No, this is the knowledge of the will of God. And Paul wants them. Paul wants them to know God, what he is like, what he wants for them and for this world. And notice how he describes and defines the will of God. Of God, this knowledge of God. Again, in verse 9, he says this He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, another way to read this would be Paul is praying that you, Colossian Christians, you, Christians at Taproot in Seattle, that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God that consists in spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the type of knowledge that he's talking about here is the knowledge that is both wise and understanding. And you've got to see the balance here. On the one hand, Paul is insisting that the healthy and flourishing Christian life requires the pursuit of knowledge. He wants them to love truth. He wants them to know as much of the truth about God, who he is, what he is like, what he has done as we possibly can. It is not possible to to, to be godly and not think deeply about God, about his word, about ourselves, and about God's world. And so he really is praying here for growing knowledge. He wants Christians, followers of Jesus, to love doctrine and truth, to love to understand who God is and what he wants. Now, on the other hand, (coughs) Paul is not interested in encouraging or producing insufferable know-it-alls who live only for abstract theological debate and who do not know how to engage their neighbor in day-to-day practical Ordinary things. Paul is not looking for for heady, bookish impracticality. This knowledge of God's will consists in knowable, concrete, practical, righteous, ethical conduct and behavior. Paul here wants to help us understand that knowing God is truly about our flourishing and our joy. Knowing God is essential to a flourishing life. Puritan William Perkins said this, Theology, the study of God, 
It's the science of living blessedly forever. Now that sounds old school, but I kind of like it. I would say like this. Knowing God is the way to flourish forever. Knowing God, as you know God, you will flourish. So Paul here is praying this. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Who he is, what he is like, his character, his desires for you and for this world. And that consists in spiritual wisdom, practical know-how to navigate the challenges of this life with understanding. He wants us to live a flourishing life that comes as a result of knowing God. And you can't skip over the word spiritual. It is spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, just because it is spiritual, that is not the opposite of practical. And it does not mean useless. Actually, it probably should be capitalized. Spiritual with a capital S because it is referring to the work of the Spirit himself in our hearts. So where do you get this wisdom and understanding that helps us, this knowledge of the will of God that helps us connect profound truth to practical life? Where does that come from? How does that truth and the knowledge of God, how does it travel from the head to the heart? It is not natural and an innate instinct or trait. No, Paul says it is the gift of the Spirit in the hearts of God's people. That's why he's, he's praying. He is on his knees asking God for this. And he's not merely exhorting the Colossian Christians or you and I to study biblical or systematic theology. Now, that is a wonderful thing to do. But he is praying, Lord, as the truth of Scripture, as the truth of who you are begins to fill their minds, your and my mind, press it into their hearts and help them live it out day by day by the work of the Spirit. And that's what Paul is praying here. The fullness of of the truth of who God is brought to bear on the heart to change the life by the mighty supernatural work of the Spirit of God. And that is something that ought to be a priority in prayer for all of us who are serious about following Jesus, about knowing God, about living for his glory as we engage and influence the world around us. We ought to cry for the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts. So that is Paul's prayer request. Now look at verse 10. Here is what happens when God begins to answer that prayer. Here's what happens when God begins to fill us with the knowledge of his will in all spirit-shaped wisdom and understanding. Here is what happens. <clears throat> verse 10. He prays that we may be filled with the knowledge of God's will with this following result. To walk in a manner worthy of God, fully pleasing to him. Knowing God, who he is, what he is like, what he desires for your life, for my life, for this world, his world leads to this. Walking in a manner 
worthy of him. This is the result. Now, let's break that down a bit so you can see what Paul is saying. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of God? Is Paul saying something like this? We should try to demonstrate to God that he has not made some terrible mistake in loving us by the way we live? Is that what he's saying? Are we to show God that we are worth being loved by him? Is that what he's saying? No. That would deny everything we know about the biblical gospel. That's not what Paul has in mind. Rather, Paul is asking that that there would be fruit in our lives and that our lives would display in all sorts of ways how worth it God really is. Not how worth it you are, but how worth it he is. Paul is praying, if I put this in my words, that we would have these contagious and provocative lives because of Jesus. That's what it means. That's the result of knowing God. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. Not that you show yourself to be worth loving, but rather you show how worth it is to love God, to live for him in the way that we live day by day. We walk in a manner worthy of him. We walk in a way that displays how incredibly worthwhile it is to sacrifice and to labor and to pour ourselves out for his glory and to give ourselves to him. He is incredibly worth it. And Paul says, nothing pleases him more. Look at verse 10, the rest of verse 10. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of God? Paul says that it means to be fully pleasing to him. Before you put that next slide up, uh, Ian, let me set that up, okay? Let me tell you, now, my son was not supposed to be in the room this morning. He was supposed to be in his class, but let's roll with it, okay? But let me tell you about my son, Kaya, for just a second. Uh, My son, Kaya, is, he's 10 years old, and he is in a, a, a myriad of ways just like me. Now, he looks like me. He's, my, he's like my little twin. Now, look at this picture here that Ian's going to put up here. <laughs> we've, we've, we've got the same uh, facial expression. I can't deny this kid. Okay? <clears throat> this kid acts like me in a billion ways. He is all into shoes. He's like a sneakerhead. I love shoes as well. He's all into his hair. He's got better hair than I do. He loves the beautiful game. And on, and he, there, there's so many ways on how much this kid is like me. Now, on one hand, on the one hand, it, it terrifies me that he's so much like me because I know myself. <laughs> and I know my failures, my shortcomings, my weaknesses, what I did as a teenager. So it terrifies me. But on the other hand, it brings me great pleasure as a dad to see such a likeness between us. Now, I say this and I use this silly example because I I really believe that when God looks at you, that when God looks at me, 
and he sees us become more like him, and he sees his family likeness, his family resemblance, it pleases him. But here's what happens to us. Sometimes, because we struggle with our remaining sin, because we are not fully glorified yet, we can begin to worry that perhaps God is lukewarm in his delight and love over us. <clears throat> that he's kind of standing back saying, you know, uh, that was a good try, but not good enough. Anybody ever felt that way? I know I have. <laughs> but that's not how it is at all. You're, you're in my imperfect, growing Christian obedience pleases him. He is, he is delighted to see in your life a growing likeness to him. So one of the ways that God answers the prayer for growing in the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding is by producing Christ's likeness in you and in me, this, this family resemblance and likeness that we walk in a manner worthy of God, that we display how worthy he is, how much better he is, that Christ is better than anything this world has to offer and nothing pleases him more. So what Paul really is praying for these Christians, what Paul is praying for you and me is holiness, is virtue, is Christ-likeness. Now I read this this week from a commentary and I really love this. It says this, holiness is not pious behavior. It's wholeness. We would use maybe the word flourishing a taproot. It's, it's allowing Jesus into every part of our lives so that we take on his vibrance and become captivating and radiant even in the midst of pain and sorrow. <clears throat> that is what Christ's life emits to the world. That's what he did in what we are called to do. He cares for every part of us. His power and presence touch, redeem, heal, and restore every area of our lives. That's what Paul's praying here. Likeness to Jesus, that we would be more like him. Virtue and holiness and character, Christ-likeness to burst out from our hearts. And isn't that what the world needs? A group of followers of Jesus who enter into the chaos of the world and represent him and reflect who he is to the world. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what your neighbors need? What your coworkers need? Absolutely. So Paul's request is know God, know, know him in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the result of that prayer is likeness to Jesus, likeness to Christ. Now, this all sounds great, but... <clears throat> Don't we need some resources? Don't we need some tools? Don't we need some help to understand what this looks like and how to live that out? How do we flesh this out, Paul? What does it mean to bear the family likeness of Jesus? Now, Paul will answer that for us in verses 10 through 14. He says that it looks like this, bearing fruit, 
increasing in knowledge, being strengthened in giving thanks. So how do we please God? What does it mean to bear the likeness of Jesus? It's a life that is bearing fruit, that it is increasing in knowledge, that is being strengthened by him, and that is thankful. Now let's look at these briefly, and then we will be done. First, fruitfulness. A life that pleases God is a life that is bearing fruit in every good work. <clears throat> Fruitfulness is something you can see. If you walk into an apple orchard and you don't see apples, something's off. <laughs> Fruitfulness shows, fruitfulness is evident. Likeness to Jesus, you can see it in feeling, feel, feel it. Pleasing God blesses others. Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Christian life following Jesus is not about joining this club. It is about learning. <coughs> it's not about learning correct religious vocabulary or just putting on your Sunday best. The Christian life is fruitful. And the fruit is evidence and evident in good works. When the gospel is at work in our lives, you want to get on mission because of what Jesus has done for you. One of the ways that I think, one of the ways that we will see, uh, that we will know when revival and awakening and renewal is coming to taproot is we will begin to feel a sort of mounting internal pressure. Like when you drop Mentos into a Coke, you know. We will feel that pressure mounting in our hearts as the gospel infiltrates and penetrates all that we are and bubbles away in our hearts till we feel like we've got to let it out. In acts of service, in loving our neighbor, in leaning into our community, and in telling the world the story of Jesus. We will bear fruit. A life that is pleasing to God, that walks worthy of God, it is a life that bears fruit in every good work. Second, still in verse 10, Paul says that a, a, a virtuous life, a, a Christ-like life, a fruitful life, is a life that pleases God, that bears a, a life that bears the family resemblance, is a life that is increasing in the knowledge of God. Now this seems repetitive, like he's banging this same drum over and over again. You'll remember his opening request that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And now he is saying that a Christ-like life, a life, it is a, li a life changed by the knowledge of God, is a life marked by increasing in the knowledge of God. That was like a mouthful. And it's confusing. But actually, this is a beautiful description of the Christian life. The more you know God, the more you get to know who he is, what he is like, what he wants, the more that, that knowledge by the Spirit changes your heart, your motives, your appetite, the way you behave and live. And the more your character, your virtue aligns with his character, his virtue, the more of him you will know 
and enjoy. And the more of him you know and enjoy, the more like him you will become. And the more like him you will become, the more of him you will know and enjoy. You see that cycle? Round and round it goes in a beautiful fellowship and communion with the living God as he remakes in us the image of his son, Jesus. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The both are linked together. Know him and enjoy him. Know him and experience him. Both things go together. As we glorify, we enjoy. As we serve, we become like him and we come to know him. Now, before we move on, remember that Paul has used these two expressions already. Bearing fruit and increasing. We find those here in verse 10, but he's used them already in verse 6. Now, look at that for just a second. In verse 6, he used them to describe the word of truth, the gospel. The word of the truth, the gospel, was bearing fruit and increasing. Lots and lots of people were coming to know Jesus. They were growing in number. Now we, are, we, we believe that that, that is ha- going to happen here in the south end of Seattle as well. There's lots of people who need Jesus, and we believe that the gospel is going to go forth and that many people will come to experience life in Christ. Now, he says that he wants the Colossian Christians in their lives to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Now, this is about virtue, Christ-likeness, and character. So Paul is saying, yes, grow in number, but grow in your likeness to Jesus. So he says these things over and over again. What's the point here? I think he wants us to see the connection and understand that bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God is a gospel work. It is the gospel that brings the fruit and increases both number and maturity. And it does it in our lives as we bear fruit in every good work and increases in the knowledge of God. Now, some of us get impatient with the preaching of the gospel. I've been a Christian for a billion years. I know this. Jesus died for sinners. We trust in him. We receive forgiveness for our sin. It's wonderful, but I need more. I need deeper truth. Let's move on already. Don't you see that Paul is saying, no, the way to grow up is not grow past the gospel. It is not to get beyond the gospel. The way to grow up is to send your roots even more deeply down into the good news about what God has done for you and his son. How he bore his sins in his body on the tree. How by his obedience and by his blood you've been reconciled to God. And as the wonder of that truth penetrates even more deeply, you begin to know him better. You, begin to, you become to be more like him. You see his heart more clearly. You are grieved by your sin more ferociously and you live for him more single-mindedly. And so if we are to grow in the knowledge of God, if we are to bear fruit, if we are to become the men and the women that that, uh, that, that God uh, says we ought to be fully pleasing to him, we ought to be men and women of the gospel. 
See, Jim Haney said the gospel is not the first class among many in your Christian walk. The gospel is the building in which every class is held. Paul Tripp said there is this nowism to the gospel. Yes, the gospel is about what Jesus did for you on the cross and your justification. It is also about a future hope, the age to come, being with God forever. But the gospel has implications and it affects all that we do now. It's, new, it's, it's a new set of lenses through which we see all things. Marriage and parenting and in, in, in business and friendship and money and people. So again, we need to be men and women of the gospel. Got to know him. Fruitfulness, knowing him. The third thing is as we walk in a manner that is worthy of God, Paul says, fully pleasing him. Verse 11, listen to this. By being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. If you hear anything I say this morning, listen to this. Paul here uses the same word both in a noun and a verb form. So you could also translate it like this. He's praying for you and for me. He's praying for these Christians that they and that we would be empowered with all the power according to the might of God's glory. That's all kinds of power. Why do we need so much power? The measure here, the standard is the power, is the might of the glory of God. That's what we are empowered with, the might of the glory of God, Paul says. Why do you need that? I am not a president. I am not a general. I am not the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's just me. Why do I need all this power? Paul tells us, again in verse 12, we need this power for all endurance and patience with joy. Christian, do you want to remain faithful to Jesus? Do you want to remain steadfast in him? Do you want to love him more when you're 80 then now you will need the power of God. I need the power of God. The word endurance clues us into the difficult context of the Colossian lives. It's a word that means to bear up under weight. So Paul is praying that God would empower us for faithfulness, even in the midst of great difficulty and pleasure. That God would be with us to help us persevere and to stay the course. So Christian, be encouraged today. You're not alone. You're not alone. That is really good news. Power for endurance and patience, but more than that, endurance and patience with joy. Now that's just taking it too far. Endurance and patience, yes, I can tough it out. I can white knuckle this. But joy, that's too much. 
And that's why we need to be empowered with power according to the might of God's infinite glory. That is the kind of power that never ends. It isn't just stoicism that he's praying for. It is not, not English stiff upper lip. It's not tough it out. That's not it at all. This is the power of God in your heart and in my heart to keep you when the battle rages hot so that in the midst of it all, in the midst of suffering and pain and questions and difficulty, you may count it all joy when you face those trials. And that is a supernatural life. That is not natural, at least not to me. So be encouraged that you are empowered with the power of the might of God's glory to bear fruit, to know him more, and to endure and be faithful for the long haul. And the last thing Paul says about what it means to live in a manner worthy of God, fully pleasing to him, <coughs> verse 12 says, he says, we do it giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Verses 12 through 14 are the gospel. The reason we're thankful. Thankfulness before God is forever fitting because all that God has done for his people in Jesus. You ever gotten a call goes like this. Good news. You've been pre-qualified for a special discount. Just call this number. Click. Paul has better news. He's not trying to sell you anything. He's trying to thrill our hearts because someone else has paid in full for your and for my inheritance. You've been qualified. Not by anything in you, but by the Lord Jesus in your place. He has paid in full by his obedience and his blood at the cross. And now your destiny is secure. Man, we've got a great inheritance. How do you stay the course? Giving thanks Continue to abound in good works, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. How do you do that when there is pressure around you? You do it knowing that you have an inheritance guaranteed. That there is glory waiting and nothing can stop you from receiving that inheritance that is set apart for you. An inheritance among the saints in light amidst the gloom and the pain and the chaos and the shadows of our daily battle with self and sin. Amidst the, the tears and the trail of this veil of tears, we preach the good news to ourselves that we have an inheritance, that we have been qualified. Someone else has qualified us. Jesus has qualified us. And because he has, that inheritance is utterly secure. Nothing can move it. So we give thanks. We ran the Burian Brat Trot a few weeks ago. And I, we ran it with friends. But I was most excited to run it with my son. And if I'm honest, I chased that kid most of the race, okay? I was chasing that kid down. It was, he was a good pace setter. But as we got to... <coughs> You know, the end of mile two, almost to mile three, 
I found myself looking at him and saying, we're almost there. I can see the end, dude. I can see the finish line. We're almost there. Run, don't quit. Don't quit. And when we saw that finish line, I looked at him and he just took off running. In the midst of great difficulty and questions and uh, pain and, and uh, suffering and difficulty, we know that one day that will end because of Jesus. So in the meantime, let's not build bunkers, but let's move forward and deeper into our community, knowing that no matter what happens, that is secure. We can give thanks. Because no matter the conflict or the suffering, our inheritance and our future is not in doubt because God has got this thankfulness, is key for faithfulness. And boy, we've got lots to be thankful for. So the request that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that we would know God, and the result is that we would be more like him, that we would walk in a manner worthy of God, fully pleasing to him, that the family resemblance of Jesus would begin to shine, and that as we do that, <coughs> he gives us the resources we need for that fruitfulness. He empowers us. He reminds us of our future destiny. And we get busy serving Jesus by serving one another, loving our neighbor, engaging the culture, and becoming the intermingling of the presence of God in this community. And he strengthens us for this with the mighty power of the glory of God. So we can do more than just cling and hang on but we can have joy in the midst of difficulty. And we do it with thankful hearts because we know, that all, all, we know all that God has done for us because of the hope the gospel gives us. So we've been qualified for an inheritance among the saints in light. Praise God that we not only have a call to Jesus' likeness, but we have all the resources and the tools to live it out. Well, let me just finish with this. Could you put the big idea back up again, uh, Ian, for me? Here is the big idea again. As we give ourselves to engaging the culture, as we give ourselves to influencing the culture around us with the gospel of Jesus, as we become the intermingling of the presence of God in our community, we must pray for one another. So questions to think through. And I'm asking this of myself as well. What does our prayer lives look like? Do we take time to intercede regularly for followers of Jesus? What obstacles possibly stand in our way from embracing this ministry of prayer? How might Paul's prayer provide a pattern for your own prayer? I believe fully that if we want to see revival and awakening, if we want to see the mission of God for Taproot become a reality, 
the place where it is all going to start is on our knees. We bow before the battle. May God make us a desperate people. So my encouragement for us this week, very practically, is in your HGs, take some time to pray. Individually, if you want, we've got some cards with the names of our covenant members in the welcome bus. Take those. Pray for people by name. Anybody that wants to is invited. Come on Sundays before the gathering starts. Pray. Let's saturate this room. Let's saturate our living rooms in our HGs. Let's saturate our own homes in prayer. That we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That we would become more like Jesus. That we would be fruitful that we would grow in our knowledge of him, that we would be thankful all while being empowered by the power of the might of the glory of God. May God make us a desperate people. Let's pray. Lord, I first I pray that you would forgive me because oftentimes my, my prayer priorities are very selfish. I know that you care about me. I know that you want to hear those things. But I pray that you would help me to look way beyond me. I know there are people in this very room, God, who are struggling. With, with identity, with questions. They are wrestling things about you and, and there's, there's family issues, parenting things, Lord. There's, there's all kinds of things, Lord. Help us to, to not forget those things. And I pray, God, that you would, would fill us with the knowledge of who you are. And that it would not just be knowledge that is heady and bookish, but that you, by your Spirit, would, 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 would help that to navigate to our hearts and that it would just impact who we are. I pray that the gospel will be the lens through which we see all things, God. Would you help us to be more like Jesus? <coughs> in all those questions, in all those uh, situations or circumstances that are hard, Lord, would you, would you meet your people there, God? And may they know that you are not disappointed, that you are not lukewarm in your delight and affections for us, but you are pleased that we are growing, even if it's little by little. Help us to bear fruit. Help us to be thankful and empower us for this mission by your power. Help us to be a desperate people who, who fight on our knees. And as we do that, Lord, 
empower us for endurance and perseverance with joy. I pray this in your name.